Happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Arm Wrestling with Reality podcast. I'm your host, 17-time national, two-time world champion, Ryan Espy. And uh, boy, we got a bit of a show here today. First uh, things first, I want to talk again, remind you guys, August 25th is the Ryan Espy first annual world championship fundraising tournament held here in Portage La Prairie. And... Um, Check out Facebook for the details of that. It is a tournament that is put in place to help me raise some money to send me to Worlds because we are not uh, European, we are not Russian, we don't get paid to arm wrestle, we get paid. We have to pay out of our own pocket to head to these tournaments, provincials, nationals, and then the World Championship. So that being said, I appreciate all the support. Uh, shout out again to my sponsors, my existing sponsors that I had, Extra Enterprises, Bob Penner, thank you so much, Melco Developments, thank you so much, and another one that has just come through in a very major way is Principal Supply. They have uh, really stepped up. We just got done shooting a video over there to help me promote the sale of the t-shirts that I'm actually selling to raise funds as well. So if you're interested in participating in the t-shirt sales, head over to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Ryan SB champion. Make sure you spell my name right. It's E-S-P-E-Y. Uh, so guys, getting right into the uh, what everyone has been talking about and was led up to last week, it was the World Arm Wrestling League event. Uh, first thing I noticed when I tuned in is for the first time, the Canadian feed was working right off the bat and stayed up throughout the show. So that was great to see. Um, next thing I noticed was Bart Wood back at the table. Bart, great to see you back. Uh, you were missed and, you know, nice to see you back in form and, uh, refereeing at the World Arm Wrestling League. Now, a couple of high-level overviews just before I get into that. You know, I, I say, Bart, good to see you back. But if I was to be critical of uh, the event, I would say that some of that refereeing was atrocious. And uh, not so much that, you know, bad calls were made. But there are calls that uh, there seems to be rules that apply to some and not to others. And the comment I made online was that... Um, I was wondering, basically questioning what the purpose of the downside referee was when you're doing the setup. Because if uh, you look in particular in the matches with um, Ian the Grippler, Carnegie, and, and Mike Aiello, whoever's palm was facing towards Bart, so towards the head referee, um, so the back of their hand facing the camera, that person basically did not have to square their shoulders at all. They weren't noticed by the head referee, and the downside referee said nothing. You could clearly read the back of their T-shirt, and in the match that Grippler won, uh, which I'll get into a little bit later, it looked like um, that really played a factor to me. So when you're taking these things into account and you're noticing these things and you're doing a best-out-of-five format, whoever starts with that advantage may very well end up uh, winning that match because they will be on that side of the table more often than the other guy. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened here. Obviously, it didn't because it didn't go his way, but um, I think the WAL needs to really tighten up their rules and figure out the answers to some of these questions 
and um, going forward doing that. They still haven't called me yet, and they, uh, you guys all know that my goal is the World Arm Wrestling Championships this October in Turkey, and maybe I'll start being a little more aggressive trying to get the call after that. But, um, hey, there's a match sitting here waiting that uh, has proven to be a good one, actually a couple of them, and um, that was myself with Jerry and myself with Aiello. Those matches were good matches, but on numerous occasions over the last season of the World Arm Wrestling League when they actually ran a season. Anyway, match number one, we had Bishop versus Bankston. This looked like a fairly dominant, not the best uh, match we could have seen just because Bishop was in control the entire time. It was a sweep. Uh, looked like the first one kind of went into a hook a little bit, and the second two were all top roll, all controlled with the hand. And uh, Bishop took that one home, and it was a an interesting lead-up, or an interesting kickoff, we'll say, to the event, which, you know, did not, you know, spoiler alert, but they did not seem to be a ton of great matches on this card. Grippler versus Aiello, match one. Well, let's be honest, they were all hook matches. And um, not a lot of uh, transitioning or technique here. Aiello versus Grippler. Aiello takes match one. Grippler takes match two. A is able to initiate his move. And as I said earlier, I think a lot of this, him being able to initiate that was uh, the fact that he could start completely... Um, at an angle with his shoulders and really sink in his hook. Match three, Aiello. Match four, almost the same as match two, but Aiello's a little more aggressive. I'm not sure if he actually picked up on what was happening with uh, the shoulder situation, but he managed to get uh, managed to get that match anyway. So three matches to one for Mike Aiello. Next one up is Celiaris versus uh, Alan Guerra, War Machine. Um, nickname I haven't heard since John Copenhaver, and hopefully he doesn't turn out the same way as that fella. But um, Guerra looking strong in the arm, but not so strong in the hand, and Celiaris dominating three matches to zero. No problem. And then we have... Um, and I apologize in advance if I'm mispronouncing these names. The women's match, Feria versus Bankston. Uh, another dominant performance. Bankston does not take a win there. Uh, and moving on to the, the feature matches. But before that, I mean, hey, the WAL puts on a hell of a show. It was fun to see Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, and yeah, Mario Lopez was there too, whatever. That's uh, interesting. To see those guys at an event, I'm sure they were paid to be there, but hey, I'm happy to see them anyway. Marcio Barboza versus Michael Todd, and this one went, uh, my prediction for this was going to be that Marcio took um, match number one. I believed that he was going to take match number one, um, but something is happening. Like Jody Williams talked about this. Something's going on with Marcio, and he used to be one of the most explosive hitting arm wrestlers that there was. And he would really be a fast, explosive guy. And now 
that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. It, it seems to be he's maybe too big and has lost a little bit of that. But Michael didn't entertain anything other than the king's move. And um, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, the king's move can be beat, but it takes a special arm wrestler to beat the king's move. And I don't necessarily think it's... It can be an exciting style to watch if you have someone like Jerry Cataret across the table from him. In this case... um, Maybe not the most exciting match, but Michael Todd comes away in in fine form. But the puzzling thing here is Michael had taken a loss to Jerry. Jerry had taken a loss to Devin. But Michael somehow gets into the final with Devin. It's, uh, it's, it's a tad confusing going forward. Uh, but, I don't know, good for them. It's going to be entertaining to watch and... Um, you know, from this, we also have another few matches that are made based on the wins and losses here. But uh, let's get to the one everyone was talking about. Devin Larratt versus Matt Mask. Now, the build-up to this match was pretty incredible. It was um, a lot of trash talk, a lot of, you know, very cryptic messages from Devin. Lots of memes. Um entertaining, bordering on inappropriate, uh, getting pretty aggressive with some of the comments. There were some comments about, I'll cut your throat in public, and I know it's metaphorically speaking, but that's uh, to the untrained observer. Maybe they're not not, uh, taking that the right way, but I enjoyed the build-up. What I didn't really enjoy was the amount of uh, messing around and and trying to get an unfair advantage at the table and there was a ton of that but match one Matt was clearly out of position Um, and Devin ended up getting a, a dominant position Matt tried to pin himself Unable to do so, making Devin look even stronger that he could hold Matt in position. But nobody is training to pin themselves. Nobody is strong in that direction unless you're really training for a can opener style move. So it is what it is. So Matt takes uh, three fouls, lifting his elbow three times to get the restart. Match number two. Um, and, and much like I said with Marcio... Matt's hit seems to have gone away a little bit. Like the speed and explosiveness of it. Maybe it's a timing issue with the extra weight on his body. But he's not uh, hitting as ferociously. Or possibly Devin is just absorbing every bit of that. But Matt does not start quickly in match two. But does manage to pull Devin over and pin him. Now... That was the cleanest match of the entire uh, the entire super match. So good on Matt. Matt is showing that he has got the power now to actually hang in there with Devin. So number three, much like match number one, Devin is in a position that is dominant. Matt pins himself. Match number four, 
at this point, the fatigue is starting to set in, and uh, and Devin looks fairly fairly dominant in match four. Uh, some drama throughout the match, you know. Devin kind of invading the space of Matt when he's over in his corner, which should be, you know, respected and kind of sacred as it is in mixed martial arts or boxing. You don't go into the other guy's corner and, and start messing with him. You stay in yours between rounds. And uh, Justin Bishop was, uh, I was very happy to hear what I heard when he's basically telling Devin to, Devin to get the hell out of there. And it didn't... Uh, it didn't uh, help Matt's mental state to have Devin constantly messing with him, yelling crack, crack, crack as he was hitting him, uh, holding him at center, saying, I want you to remember this, really rubbing salt in the wound. And um, that was definitely illustrated when with some of Matt's comments towards Devin immediately following and in between rounds. So I don't blame Matt for being upset. He's got a long road back, and as I kind of alluded to at one point, that uh, I don't want to see this match again right away. I don't know how the rest of the world feels, but Devin is on to Saplankov. Now, Matt, coming off of a loss, probably his stock went up, I'm, I'm thinking here, because everyone's saying that Devin is as strong as they've ever seen him. Matt being in the match and actually being able to outpower Devin in one of those matches, his stock goes way up in my opinion. And he, um, I'm going to reserve judgment on that until I see his next match, was, which is with Jerry Cataret, which I think is a really, really interesting match. Jerry is a tough guy to, to top roll, and I think those two styles are just hell for each other. Um, Correction, Jerry is a tough guy to beat in a top roll. His wrist flops like nothing, but by the time you do it, he's usually behind it, and uh, then you're in a war. So they're set up to pull. Devin is set up to pull Michael Todd. Uh, I don't see that being... uh, It depends what Michael's doing for training, but I think Devin's going to take that one. But here's the thing. Devin is going into a match with Denis Saplankov, and he is... um, really, really being called an underdog now because he was not so dominant with Matt. A couple of ways you can look at that. Either Matt is strong enough to slow him down and make him look vulnerable, or Devin is just not as strong as we all think he is. And I'm not sure either one of those is completely accurate, but uh, unless Devin's left is is, is way ahead of his right, I think this is gonna, it's going to be a bad day for Devin. I might be wrong, but uh, we all might be wrong in our predictions. I think Dennis is going to dominate uh, at least rounds one and two. But we'll have a better set of predictions as that match gets closer. I believe that even before that, we have another World Arm Wrestling League event where there's just a ton of stuff going on. And um, Krasimir going against Chafee, like, that's a match that... uh, should get people excited. And there's a ton of them. So kudos to the World Arm Wrestling League. Not for uh, not calling me, because I think I should be in there, but for setting up some marquee matches. And I understand Neil Pickup has a, a role in that. So Neil, come on, man. Give me a call. Don't disrespect my right arm just because uh, you guys aren't uh, ready to do anything with the left yet. Anyway, guys, this is it for today. 
And uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to my podcast so that every time a new episode drops, which we try to aim for every Wednesday now, you will be notified. So in all the places that you love to listen to podcasts, Arm Wrestling with Reality will be there. We are on all major platforms. So aside from that, check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Mr. Espy, all one word, M-R-E-S-P-E-Y. Or search my name, Ryan Espy, R-Y-A-N-E-S-P-E-Y, facebook.com slash Ryan Espy Champion. And until next time, keep training hard and we will talk to you later.